This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Ready? Yeah, hopefully. Okay, we're ready now. Yeah, okay. Um, the Pasuk says, He came close to the Machna, referring to Moshe Rabbeinu, and he saw the eagle and the, the dances. So he got so angry, he threw the Luchos down. And he broke them underneath the mountain. So the question is, what exactly did he see? It says, Vayar Moshe, that Moshe saw something. He saw that. What exactly did he see that made him break the holy luchos? These are the luchos. This is not just Stam, like, I don't even mean to say it this way, but it's not just a Sefer Torah. And even a Sefer Torah, you would never imagine somebody being like, you look in the back of Shoal and you see, like, I don't know, a mixed kiddish, and you're just like, forget this. Like, that doesn't even make any sense. Like, it, it, it's so strange. He'd never heard from any great, there's no authority that told him to do this. This was a Kalvachomer, as we'll see from Rashi. How in the world could Moshe Rabbeinu, what could he have seen that convinced him to break the Luchos themselves? Yerushalmi Tainus, Parak Dalach learns a tremendous halacha from over here. Even though HaKadosh Baruch Hu already told him what was going on, the Jews had sinned terribly and they built an ego, and Moshe Rabbeinu didn't throw down the Luchos then. It's totally different when you see something. He says, you can never judge a case from what you hear. You have to see it with your own eyes. Moshe heard this from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He didn't do anything until he saw it himself. It's totally different when you see it. To hear, like, this is going on or that's going on, okay, that's one thing. To actually be involved and see it with your own eyes is so horrible, even more so when, for us, when we hear that people did this and that and the other and things like that, you cannot judge anyone until you mamish see it with them yourselves. Tzofnas Panach says something really interesting, by the way. This is um, the, 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 the rugged Shavarava. He says, the man must have had the ability for you to be able to see things better than anything else. Because Moshe Rabbeinu apparently paskined halachas based on the mun. So how can you paskin based on the mun if you can't see the halacha in front of you? You don't see what's going on in front of you. The pshat is, it must be that the mun gave you such clarity of mind, you were able to see exactly what you needed to see in order for the case to be there. It's not normal. That's not normally what you have. But it says that Safnas Panach, it must be that way. Look in Yumi Ayin Heim and Aleph. It says this type of idea. It must be that Imam Mishon saw it. Yalku Shimoni in 392 brings a medrash that says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu asked Moshe, did you not believe me? Like after this all happened. He said, you didn't believe me, right? Did I not tell you they made an ego as of? So why in the world did you only break the Luchos when you saw it with your very own eyes? Well, what was the issue? Like all of a sudden you're going to break it, but you're not going to do it before. And the message goes on that Moshe realized he had to be Mezaka the Jews because everybody was so angry and everything was happening in the wrong way. So he suggested that maybe only he was, he was commanded to keep the Mitzvahs and not everything else. But listen to this. They said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu asked a question. He said, did you not believe me? Did you not believe me? I told you they did the ego. Then you go and you're like, they made an ego and you threw the luchos down. Do you not believe me? And the answer obviously is Moshe believed him, right? He said, yeah, but I had to see it. But he doesn't answer that. He says nothing. He's silent. He says, oh, I have to find a schus for the Jews. And he said, maybe you only commanded the Aserah Zedibros to me, right? Maybe it was only for me. It wasn't for everybody else. What's Pshat? I don't quote him very often. When I do quote him, it's an awesome one. Because Rosh Hashanah is probably the greatest person of all time, aside from Moshe Rabbeinu and a few others. But he's like up there and like, I don't know. But either way, but he says that Moshe didn't answer our Kaddish Baruch Hu's question because apparently there was a malach, malach that was out there, a Malach Mashchis named Af. Af and Chema. 
are two Malachim Ashkes, destructive angels that are out there in the world. The Af he saw was already part of the Egel Azov. Now, it's one thing if HaKadosh Baruch would have told him that. To say that the Jews made an Egel, Moshe Rabbeinu figured, ah, oh, they made a silly mistake. Okay, if they made a silly mistake, I'll go down and I'll fix it, I'll take care of it. But then he sees with his own eyes that Af is involved. The Malach HaMashka is known as Af. And not only that, but the Sam, Satan, Samach Memalach Lamed, is also involved over here. That the Satan somehow is involved over here as well. And not only that, but we said the Macholos, they had dances, Machalas was a demoness, some type of female demon that causes people to have sins when they get involved in dancing too much or getting too much, whatever, too much simcha, exuberance, over-exuberance. That demon was there as well. And all three of them were there involved in destroying the Jews with the Egel Azov itself. When Moshe Rabbeinu heard that they made it, he figured there was like one thing wrong or whatever it was. When he saw that the Sutton was involved, that Machlas was involved, that Af was involved, he said, "I, I can't do this. I can't do this. He had literally no idea what to do. It was much worse to get involved with what the Jews were doing over here. They had, there was tainas that he had to take care of. That before he was even able to do anything, that a Baruch Hu said, did you not believe me? I believed you, Moshe Rabbeinu meant. That I believed you, but I didn't realize how bad it was with this mashchisim that were involved over here. In order to get rid of those mashchisim, the only thing I can do is give them a schos, is be mezaka them to do somehow a dan lachav schos type of deal in order for them to make it feel better. Otherwise, there's no way I can get around them. I can't do it. That's how bad it was. He broke the luchos to make Hashem see, make Hashem see, to allow, I guess, midas adin to see that Bnei Israel really felt bad about what they were doing. They did not mean to do this. They were goaded into it. Something happened. And once that Sutton grabs a hold of you, it just spreads the poison throughout your body and you can't stop. And that's what happened. It was like one little thing that like they allowed one thing to happen and then everybody's like, oh, it's not so bad. Oh, I thought they were going to do much worse than that. That's what the Egel Azov was like. I, I think one, years ago, when I was in Beis Yisrael, in Eretz Yisrael, there was a guy who used to come in late at night. His name was Richard. He used to come in all the time. So, do you remember him? He's still here. No, he's still there. Good times. So, he, uh, he used to come in late at night. And he used to, like, yell at me and tell me to go to sleep because I'm up too late and whatever. And I, I didn't agree with him at the time. I agree with him now, but that's because I'm older and smarter. But uh, at the time, I didn't agree with him. And he, I remember him going through all the base matters and asking, what was the sin of the Egel Azov? And he was going around. And people were saying, about Zara. People were going around. And I said, everything. The Egel Azov was a destruction of the entire people. It was every sin under the sun, all 365 Laban, all 248 essays. He said, what do you mean? I told him there's a Kliyakar that says that what happened to Klai Yisrael was like they had a big balloon. And there was like a tiny, tiny little like needle that like popped a little hole in the balloon. And when that happens, obviously, anybody, you've ever had a balloon before? Once, right? So you had a balloon. You all know that everything goes out. It takes a while, but everything starts pouring out. Meaning the shot behind a Kodesh Baruch who's saying, I got to get rid of these people. I got to start all over. Is because this is a balloon that the Egel Azov was just a start of. It showed that there was something inside. When you have that Satan Hamashchis, the Af and Machlas inside, it doesn't go out that easily. There has to be some type of schus for Moshe Rabbeinu literally to pull them out of the system in order to patch the balloon. But as long as there's somebody widening and widening and widening that hole, it's impossible for anything to happen. He was satisfied enough that he didn't bother me for like a week, but it only took about a week, and that was about it, and then I was right back to where it was before. Divin Ezra says, this is what he saw. He saw wild dances going around the idol, and he was shocked. How could they have done this so soon after Matan Torah? The dancing was bothering him. He looked at it, and he said, this can't be. And because of his zealousness for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, was Kinas Hashem Tzvakos, therefore he took the luchos, and he smashed them on the ground, as if he was tearing up the tanoim. 
between Klal Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We all know HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the Chassan and we're the Kawa. As if he's tearing up the Tanoim between us, right, in front of all the Klal Yisrael. In other words, showing the Kawa, there's no way you guys can get married to one another. That's what he was doing by breaking the Luchos, says the Eben Ezra, and it makes sense. The Sforno adds on to that. He says, it's the Simcha. It wasn't just the dances. It was the Simcha. He saw in their faces, they were happy. It was like, while the Luchos were being given, and the Aseris Adibros, everybody has that serious look on their face, like... Got it. Okay. I think I can honor my parents. Shabbos is going to be a little bit hard, right? Murder. Okay. I can stay away from that pretty much. And all the others I'll deal with. But once they heard about all the mitzvahs, they were a little bit worried. All of a sudden, the ego Azov was there and everybody is partying. There's like that face of like pure happiness, like a perm type of joy where everybody's like jumping around and dancing. And he sat there and he said, that's the problem. It's possible to fix the sin of Avodah That you can do. But to fix the sin of having simcha for your sins? I don't know if you can do that. I don't know if we're going to be able to fix that up. That was the issue that Moshe Rabbeinu had. How are we going to be able to fix that? Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky says the exact same thing. At first, he could excuse the people. People sometimes mess up. But to have simcha while doing it, that he couldn't take. How in the world are we going to get around that? That was just too much. Tam Vidas says it's a chinuch tool. And you can use this when it comes to chinuch of not just Talmidim, but like children and for anything else as well. When you see someone doing badly... You want to think that he has the ability to do tshuva and to do everything much better. Take a look at that person and see the following. Is he enjoying doing what he's doing? Is he happy to make fun of other people? Or he's doing it because that's the popular thing to do? Right? There's a difference between a kid in my class, right? A kid in my, my, my shir in the morning who's sitting there and he's making fun of another person and he's enjoying doing it. And a kid who's making fun of other people because it feels the peer pressure. If he doesn't say something, then he knows he's on the other side. The kid who feels the peer pressure, who doesn't really want to do it, but he's doing it because that's what everybody's doing. You can fix that. That's something that's very fixable. But the guy who is enjoying putting down other people, that's really, really hard. Not impossible. It's not totally impossible. It's really, really hard to do. And that's the difference. Simcha, when Simcha is involved, he said, that changes a person. It changes everything about you. It's almost impossible to get around it. It's something that's huge, huge there. The Chavetz Chaim says it even clearer. This is such an unreal Chavetz Chaim. I remember seeing this years ago and I couldn't find it. And it was right here. The Chavetz Chaim says, whenever someone sighs while doing an Avera, he does the Avera, he's doing something wrong, but he sighs. He's like an audible, like, oh, like a kvetch. Like, all right, I got to do it now. Something like that. The malach created from that avera is pogum. You know, like you always hear that your mitzvahs are pogum if you're not doing them properly. You can have like, you put on tefillin, but you didn't really think about your tefillin when you put it on. So it's like missing like a finger or whatever, something like that. You can make a malach of an avera pogum. You can make a pogum by not enjoying the avera that you're doing. You have to do it. Okay, you have to do it. That happens. There's certain things that happen to a person's life, but don't be happy while doing it. Make it pogum. Every single time when you have a malach that is pogum, it's easier to do tshuva. There's an ability. It leads you in the opposite way. And unfortunately, it goes the opposite way as well. Lahavdil, and it should never be this way. When a person has simcha doing an avera, the malach that is born from that avera is so strong and so powerful, he stands up there in Shemayim and he does whatever he wants. He can argue, he can accuse, he can make you lose everything, all because of that simcha. It goes by mitzvahs as well. Like, he's going in Averis, but he goes by mitzvahs as well. A mitzvah done by simcha is a totally different mitzvah, completely different from anything else. As opposed to a mitzvah that you saw, you're like, all right, if I got to do this, I got to do this. Giving tzedakah, for example, is a really good example. Giving tzedakah, giving tzedakah with a smile, is completely different from giving tzedakah because, oh, begrudgingly, there's another mishulach here. It came out. You know how many mishulachim came out to me this morning? 
<laughs> Good call. <laughs> 25. Not bad, right? 25. I wasn't counting at all, but I did know because I had singles on me and I used up almost all of them. And then I noticed how many people that I wanted to give a single to, right? I mean, it was, I never had that before. It felt like I was in like, you know, Landau's or something like that, like, or Mezram Stivelach. Like it just was not, to me, not normal. It's not what I'm used to over here. Tarim Yonison says he wasn't only seeing the dancing and the singing and the instruments they were playing. He saw the Satan himself jumping around with them. And he was so angry that the Satan was involved that they, so to speak, invited the Satan to their party. He threw them as far as he could. Reverse says he's even more. He saw their willingness to take those theories and doubts that they had had down a very dark path. They were willing. They'd given in to their doubts and fears. And I want you to think about this for a second. What was the ego as of? What was the problem? What was their fear? Their fear was, is that Moshe Rabbeinu is not around. What are we going to do? In six hours, that's really what it was, because they waited until the middle of the day of the 16th of Tammuz, and by the end of the day, they had already created the ego as of. So six hours, over a period of six hours, they had been so afraid of what was going to be that they created an idol to take over for them. And the next morning, they're already sacrificing to it and do everything. Dude, just wait a day. Just wait one day. Why would you do this so quickly? It's strange, isn't it? Strange. It, it, this was the issue. Says Rafersh, they were now a nation that had to be reestablished for the Torah to understand what they had been through and what they did. And therefore, he smashed the ego in front of their eyes for that reason. They could see how he had to start all over. In the presence of this evil, everything that's there, you have to start all over there. Now, the Rashbam argues with all this. It was not the dancing. He says it was the ego itself. He took one look and he was shocked. Absolute shock. He dropped the lukos, he says. When he realized it was about to hit his feet, that's when he pushed it a little bit so it wouldn't drop on his feet. So it was like he threw it. But the reason why he dropped the lukos was not to smash them or to cause intention or to make everybody see what he was doing. It really was all about, I cannot believe that just happened. It was like that, that O look, you know, the, where your mouth turns into an O. And he just threw it, it th- like dropped it and then quickly like pushed it a little bit further to make sure it didn't happen. The Nitziv even says a story about it. I don't know where the Nitziv got this from. I don't see this in any Midrashim, but again, maybe there's a Midrash that I just haven't seen in the Torah Shalima mentions it somewhere. I don't know. Nitziv says the Moshe came down holding the Luchos, went into the camp, saw what had been made and immediately ran back to the mountain. He ran back to the mountain. As if to escape Klau Yisrael. Rabino Ephraim adds on, he says something over here. He says, the people ran after him. The people ran after Moshe Rabbeinu, knowing what he was about to do. Now the Nitzvah says, the Zikanim caught up to him. They tried to wrest the Luchos from his grasp to grab them away from him. But Moshe was able to make it to the mountain. The people didn't want to go up to the mountain because the mountain was an area that they were told you cannot go up to the mountain whatsoever. Moshe was able to throw the Luchos in front of everybody. It had a profound effect. The people were already shocked to see Moshe Rabbeinu because they thought that he was dead. right? And then they saw him run away. And then they saw him go up the mountain and throw down the luchos in front of everybody. It shocked everybody. Nobody could believe it. So according to that, that Nitziv, it's a different metric, I guess you can say. And maybe, maybe from the Rabino Ephraim, he's learning it from, he's taking it from there and going into it. But it is so strange. We spoke about the Rabino Bechayi not too long ago. We said in Parshat Bishalach how the Macholos is really a reference to something else entirely. I'm not going to go into that right now. If you want to reference back to what we said in Parshat Bishalach by this, the woman singing, and they brought out the Macholos, the Tofa Macholos, and over here it all says the word Macholos. The Rabino Bechayi talks about that over here. It is pretty awesome, but I'm not going to talk about that over here. Orchaim Akutter suggests that maybe Moshe Rabbeinu did this on purpose to put him on power of B'nai Yisrael so that he would die. It's pretty crazy, right? B'nai Yisrael did a sin that they're deserving of death. 
HaKadosh Baruch already told him, I want to kill the people and I want to make you into the leader of a brand new nation. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I want to die along with Kalal Yisrael. So he did something wrong. He did something that was like Avodah Zarah. He took the Sefer Torah of God, the Luchos of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and smashed them in front and said, Hashem, I'm with them. If you want me to die with them, I'll die with them. But I'm doing this because of them. So he wasn't doing it to shock them. He wasn't doing this because he was shocked. He wasn't doing it for any other reason other than, I want to show a Kaddish Baruch Hu that I'm with Bnei Yisrael. I'm willing to sin with all of Kalah Yisrael. The Chassam Sofer says this as well. He was trying to be Moser Nefesh to show HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I'm willing to die with Kalah Yisrael. I'm willing to do it, to do it like that. Moshe Zekini suggests that he might have done it. Maybe he thought they would do tshuva through this, that going around there. But I, I don't know. It's an interesting Moshe Zekini. I'm not positive that that's exactly what he's trying to say. Revel Yashiv says he had to break them. Had the Luchos remained intact, the Jews would have been on a much different, much higher level. You ever heard of what Bnei Yisrael was going to be like when they, when, before the Luchos were broken? If the first Luchos were going to be able, to be, be able to be with them the whole time? You ever heard what ends up happening? It's like a totally different thing. They would have been, they would have been something awesome and still able to sin. So can you imagine the Chalol Hashem? You have a nation that has the luchos flying above their heads. The holiness of the luchos around them at all times, that, that unbelievable level that Bnei Yisrael were on, and they still sinned. Do you hear that? How in the world could they have done this? That's the concept, says Rabbi Yashiv. It's like Moshe Rabbeinu said, I've got to do something. They can't have the luchos and also sin. They're not ready to have these luchos and still sin. They can't do it. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu had to destroy it. They couldn't remain. It was sort of like they would find hatchers. There would be terrible things for them to do. Says Rabbi Yashiv, it had to be gone completely. And then comes the Meshachachma. If you haven't heard this Meshachachma before, it's because you're not Jewish. And if you do, I would check your lineage. It's like not being able to eat chalun on Shabbos. It's a possibility that there's something wrong, and you should really check into it. Right? You know that. 100%. So this Meshachachma, this is an unreal Meshachachma, which probably should have been taught to me when I was in second or third grade. I don't know why it wasn't. I don't know why my Rebbeim never taught this, taught this to me before. But this is such an unbelievable one. He asked the question, the famous question that we really started off with. How could Bnei Yisrael have sinned this badly, this quickly with the Egoaz of? How could they have done it? It's only 40 days after Matan Torah. It's one day early. It's six hours, right? And Moshe Rebbeim was right around there. How could it be? And it's a simple answer. Says Meshachachma, and he says this in three different places, they had a faulty perception about what Moshe Rabbeinu was. See, we know, because this is how the Torah puts it, he was a great man. He was a man who was the greatest Navi of all time. No one ever was like him. Nobody ever will be like him. We have, but he was a man. Their perception of Moshe Rabbeinu was not like that. And it could be, I, I, this is not faulting anyone, Shalom, I wouldn't be able to do that, but the Meshachachma is not saying, oh no, Bnei Yisrael is to blame for this. This is a reality. You see a man like Moshe Rabbeinu, you don't think he's human. You don't consider him to be a human being. He's a malach. That's what he is. He's truly a malach. They pictured Moshe Rabbeinu as a godly man. As a godly man. And they thought, they thought that the Torah couldn't be given through anyone, right? Any human being, it could only be given through a malach or a shliach of a Baruch Hu. So therefore, if there's no malach available, 
then the person that's in charge will have to be something else. There has to be something as an in-between, sort of like a middleman that would get them close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They would never be able to dive into HaKadosh Baruch Hu directly. They'd never be able to speak to Hashem correctly. And I know those who know the Ramban in this week's parsha will say, wait, that, that sounds exactly like the Ramban. And the truth is, it is. It's based on the Ramban of what he says that Eagle Azov was just a middleman. It was never an idol. It was always supposed to be this intermediary between them. The Meshach was taking it a step further. It, their mistake was that they thought Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't human. Moshe Rabbeinu was just supposed to be the crew from the top of the Aron Kodesh. A middleman, and that's it. Nothing else to it. So they knew that a Baruch Hu did everything. They believed in God, but they also believed in Moshe Avdo. No one is like Moshe. No one else is like Moshe in that way. And that was their major mistake by the Egel Azov. This is why Moshe Rabbeinu got so upset at them. I'm not like a Malach. I'm a man, just like any of you. He was telling them. And even their wording, They should have realized from their own wording, he's a man, he's not more than that. So you think you need something different? You think that you have to create an ego as of because something's wrong? Because there's something missing? And you can't have another human? I mean, you shouldn't have gone from Moshe straight to Aaron? Shouldn't Aaron have been the next in line to become that leader? Of course he should have been. But they said to themselves, it's impossible. We can't go to Aaron because Aaron's a human being and Moshe was not. Moshe was greater than that. Moshe can go up in Shemayim and stand there for 40 days and 40 nights. Nobody else could do such a thing. We need something different. And therefore they made the Egel Azov themselves. Says Moshe Rabbeinu, even if I wouldn't have come down again, and I'm not promising you, I'm going up for another 40 days right now. I'm not promising you I'm coming back. I'm not promising that. But even if I don't come back, you would still have to follow what the Torah says. Build a relationship with a Kaddish Baruch Hu on your own. It's not about what other people can do. You can go to Gedolim for a little bit of help. You can ask them for a little bit of help to be able to adopt it because sometimes your tefillahs are blocked from certain things that you do or you say or whatever it is. But you have to do it on your own. You have to do something on your own. There's nothing else godly in the world. There is no Mishkan that's there for you. There is no Moshe Rabbeinu to take up your tefillahs. There's you. So do it yourself. Do it yourself instead. That's what he was telling them. And that's the reason why he broke the luchos. Do you get it now? If you would have had those luchos in front of them, they would have considered that as a godly aspect of how they had to live their lives. They would bow down to the luchos. They would use that as their intermediary. If the person would die, if another Moshe Rabbeinu would die, if something like that would happen, what would they go to? They wouldn't go to another leader like Yoshua. They'd say, oh, but the luchos are here. Let's go to the Luchos. Let's go up to the Luchos himself. That's the concept of what Moshe Rabbeinu was so afraid of. He had to smash them to show them, no, this is nothing. The only thing that there is are the laws of the Torah and your relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. There is nothing that means it. And if people start worshiping the Kruvim on top of the Aron Kodesh, we'll smash that also. Because it's not about the Aron. It's not about the Kruvim. It's not about any individual aspect. If there's a Sefer Torah that people are saying, this is God, this is our God, and this is our relationship, and I, without a Sefer Torah, I can't, I, I won't be able to do anything. It's not true. The Torah still exists. Your relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu still exists. And for that reason, Moshe Rabbeinu wanted them to learn this lesson. It's not about him. It's not about the tablets. It's not about anything but you and God. 
And that's what he was telling them. Is that an unbelievable Meshachachma? Using the idea that the Ramban implies of what the Egel itself was all about and applying a, a saying, here's the idea of what they messed up on. It's a true mess up. And it was just one thing that had to be switched inside their head itself. It's a really cool idea. There is a Sfas Emes Likutim over here in this week's Parsha. If you want to check out the Sfas Emes Likutim, it's an amazing, amazing thing. The Orach Haimakadr says it as well. It talks about the Tuma that was attached to the Egel Azov, that when Moshe Rabbeinu came down, the Tuma bolted. We already said that there was the Satan, Af, and Maklas that was involved with this Egel Azov itself, right? Apparently, the Egel Azov had the ability to speak. That whatever, whether it was the, the little Tas Zov, the plate of gold that said Ali Shur, that Micha threw inside the gold while it was burning, and eventually the Egel Azov came out, and the Egel Azov came out and said, started speaking out the or something else. I don't know what it was, but whatever was in there, as soon as Moshe came down, the Tuma bolted. The Tuma got out as much as it could. As soon as, just like the people were shocked into absolute silence, when they saw Moshe and they stopped dancing and everybody was just like, Moshe's here. And they let go hands really quickly and everybody was like, oh, this is, this is not what we expected. The Egel Azov, which was speaking, and was saying, Anochi Hashem Alekech. As soon as it saw Moshe Rabbeinu, it's like, I'm done. And that was it. Even the Ruach HaTumah was scared of what happened. That's what it means, that raw Moshe. He saw the eagle and the Macholos and how it stopped right there. And he said, something's really wrong here. Really wrong. How did that happen? Last one we're going to go into is something that I think everybody knows. We all know what happened. The holy letters that were engraved upon the Luchos all flew up to the heavens. As they flew up, they cried and they said, Chaval to the nation that heard it our Sinai from the mouth of God to make idols, that they're not allowed to make idols, that anyone who does this, this has no power whatsoever. Says Targum and a voice came down from Shemayim that told them, how could you have done this? How could you have done this? Now, here's the Kasha, okay? The letters all flew up to the heavens. How in the world are they going to fly up to the heavens? The Luchos were made of stone, right? They were made of stone. I don't know if it was sapphire stone the first time, whatever it was, a Bar who made the luchos of whatever it was, right? How did the letters appear? They were engraved, right? They were engraved inside. There's no paint. What happens? If the letters go up, does the stone reform itself? You ever think about that? You ever ask that as a kasha? I did. I just couldn't find it. I couldn't find an answer anywhere. But it didn't make any sense to me. We all know the Medrash. You for sure learned it when you were a kid, right? The letters flew up because they didn't want to have to do anything with the Egel Azov. How, these are not letters. This is not like a sheet of paper, the Luchos, where like all of a sudden letters are flying up to the heavens. That would be awesome in and of itself. But these are engraved letters that like all of a sudden came up. And then what? There was something in its place? The stone reformed itself around it. Now, again, it's miraculous, but nonetheless, what's the shot over here? Did the stone fill itself back in? So Rashi already told us that this is Mycenaeism. He said in Pasuk Tezvav that there was Mycenaeism involved with the Luchos themselves. And what happened if you went on both sides of the Luchos? You went on one side of the Luchos, you read them. If you went on the other side of the Luchos, what happened? You read them, right? Not only that, it could be on all four sides they were read. It depends on the sheet and the Gemara. But you could read them on all four sides, you could read them. Is that possible? No, I know. But nonetheless, that happened. So we're dealing with Mycenaeism, again, like, there's nothing to understand here. Yeah, the letters flew up. One in its place? I don't know. <laughs> like, I, it could be, I don't know, Twinkies went in their place. It doesn't make a difference. Somehow the letters went up, and somehow we were left with something else instead, right? They went over here. Maybe that's the idea of what it was supposed to be over here. But we have to understand something a little bit more. Yalko Ruveni says that had the Luchos remained with us, the first Luchos, there would be no need for an Aron Kodesh. There wouldn't have been an Aron Kodesh. You know what they would have done instead of the Aron Kodesh? You know what they would have had instead? The Luchos would have flown up in the air itself and they would have flown above B'nai Yisrael. Whenever you wanted to see something, you'd just look up in the sky and be like, oh, the Luchos are right there. 
They're just floating right there in the sky. Or Moshe Rabbeinu would have held them his entire life. He never would have put them down. His entire life, he would have held them in his, I don't know, life, left arm, right arm, I don't know, whichever one it was. He would have held them and would have been in his arms his entire life. And what would have happened? I don't know if Moshe Rabbeinu would have ever died. So maybe Moshe Rabbeinu would have been there for the rest of his life or he would have given over to somebody else, right? And that's that, to always remind them of what they wanted. The Orachim Cutter says there would have been no pain in this world, no death had they been allowed to remain with us. Revel Yash says from Erevin Nun Dalam and Aleph, you never would have forgotten a single word of Torah that you ever learned in your life. So like, Avi, Avi, you, you already have that. Yeah, you don't need this, right? But for those, not one word. Had the Luchos remained intact, everything would have been there. When we showed we weren't ready to accept God's presence with us at all times, that God's presence would actually be a detriment to us. It would do something badly for us. Then he took away the gift and he caused them to just be rocks. And that's that. Large stones without power. So I, I saw that the Ayelis Ashakar asked this question as well. So again, if it's miraculous, and that's the awesomeness of what the first Lukos are, then I, I don't have a kasha. How did the letters lie up? I don't know. It doesn't make a difference. We have no idea how they were formed in the first place. But the Ayelis Ashakar, this is Rav Steinman, asked this question. He brings a Korban Ada in Yerushalmi Tainus Paragdalit. There was black ink written on the engravings, and that black ink went up, and it just remained engravings. You ever hear that before? There was black ink as well, meaning there were the engravings of the Luchos, and then there was black ink around the letters, and that black ink went up, and that's what ended up flying up. Otherwise, you have to say like it said above. That's one answer that he says, and that's that. Now, Shabbos Kofayim Avei says it's also to break anything out of anger. You're not allowed to break something because you're angry. So how is Moshe Rabbeinu able to break these luchos out of anger? Now, we already said, maybe we have answers to that. He did it in order to help Claudius, or he did it in order to show that he wanted to die with Claudius. Well, perhaps there's something like that. Marshall, however, says the following. This is important if, you ever, if you're an angry guy, right? This is good for you, so I'll keep this with you, okay? It's usher if you tear or break something that is toughle, that is secondary, right? And is not an icker. So it's usher to tear or break something, right? Oh, I'm sorry, I just say the opposite. I said it the wrong way. It's usher to tear or break something that is the icker, not the tuffle. But if you tear something that's tuffle, not the icker, then it's okay. Meaning, if you would take something like, uh, I don't know if I can give a great example of this, right? But you take, I don't know, the, like let's think of something that's tuffle and icker. I get it. Like let's say you have a fridge, a mini fridge, right? And you decide you're going to smash that because you're the Hulk and you want to destroy something, right? So you take that and you want to just smash it by throwing it down there. Taking the fridge would be a problem. Taking the racks out and smashing the racks would not be a problem, even out of anger. According to this idea that's brought down, right, that wouldn't be an anger, says the marshal itself. What happened to the luchos? It just lost its letters, right? So what was left on the luchos itself? Just the cloth. I don't want to say the cloth, but the actual luchos themselves. That was tuffle. Moshe Rabbeinu was able to break that out of anger because it was tuffle to the ichor. What was the ichor? The letters, not anything else. The parties also says, wait a second. Doesn't a Sefer Torah retain its Kedusha even if the letters are rubbed off? If you rub off all the letters of a Sefer Torah, does the cloth not have any Kedusha anymore? Does it lose its Kedusha? The answer is, simply put, probably yes. The cloth does not retain its Kedusha. Gemara and Shabbos, Kufta Zion, seems like it's only Kodesh if it has Ksav on it, but it's not Kodesh if it doesn't have that. There's more to this, obviously. Yalkish Shimon, Yemej Tanchum, and the Medjish Rabbah all say that when the eagle was in sight, the letters flew off itself. The Kliakr says because the letters flew off, you know what happened? The luchos became too heavy. What happens when the luchos become too heavy? He has to drop it. 
right? And therefore, it had to be more of a drop than a throw itself. The Malbim calls the letters of the Luchos the Nishama of the Luchos, the Chius, the life of the Luchos itself. Rabbi Hanu Wasserman calls it more of like that. It's an empty shell without it, which means that if you did, you could break it because it doesn't have to be there. Moshe Zakeni says that it could be it became so heavy so he would stop. He was not able to run and stop an Yisrael from sinning. Because it became so heavy, with the letters gone, he had to smash them down in order to run to Klai, so in order to go help them from sinning. There is a crazy motion of Zakanim here. I'm suggesting that you look it up yourself. Um, the last thing I'm going to say... Yeah, I'm going to skip this. I'll skip this over here. Yeah, I'll just skip with that. Uh, nah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this either. We're, we're late already. I'm, I'm skipping at 31. There is an Otsur Plosa Torah, that, that new safer that I keep quoting, for quoting a Kedusha's honor of Sadi Gore, that goes to a tremendous thing of Medrash that he says regarding this that he spoke about in 1909 with the Imri MS. If you can look it up, look it up. If not, then your life won't be worth living. But it'll be, you'll still have something. You'll still have at least what we've had before that. But that's the idea behind it, everyone. I, why did he break the Lukos at the end of the day? He broke the Lukos because it was necessary, either to help Bnei Yisrael, to be most nefesh for Klai Yisrael, because he was in shock, or to shock all of them, whatever it was, but there was a purpose to it, and it really helped Klai Yisrael in some way. The Mecholos is another issue for another time, but for right now, we're going to stop with this. Have a good job, everyone.